the B-A-Y-C. I'm a bored ass Welcome to Boy Chili Podcast. I'm Vera. I'm Jackie. 100 Hot Ones is the first series of Boy Chili Podcast. We'll have 100 apes from all over the world sharing their ape stories, talking about their projects and fun, or giving unique perspective on working Web3. In this episode, we invited our ape brother, Li Xing. He's CEO of Keystone Wallet, crypto OG since 2013. Hi, Li Xing. Do you want to add anything that I'm missing here? Hey, Vera and Jackie, thank you so much for having me here. I'm Li Xing, and I'm the CEO of Keystone Hardware Wallet. I've been a Bitcoin, we call it close-minded Bitcoin Maxis since 2013. And firstly, I knew Bitcoin actually in 2009 when I was in college, but I bought my first Bitcoin in 2013. For Keystone, we're a hardware wallet, and we're dedicated to Bitcoin for over three years. And in the middle of last year, we pivoted to Web3. And that's also the time I got into NFT, I got into Web3. And also our product is one of the official hardware wallet partner of MetaMask. Also, we are collaborating with other software wallets. That's basically where I come from. Thank you so much. Yeah, welcome to the show. So Keystone is super cool because I'm used to using Ledger. When I was learning about you before the show, I was looking at Keystone, I was like, wow. How have I not seen this before? This makes so much more sense. Yeah. I'm so tired of clicking on these little buttons and not knowing what I'm doing. And like the screen is so small. I can't, the ad just takes up the whole space and seeing like a full screen. I love it. It's so great. Yeah. Actually, one of the key design principles of the Keystone is that user experience is part of the security because people, especially right now, more and more like noobs getting to the crypto world. People tend to make mistakes if you ask them to check something on a little screen or smash two little buttons like this. And what we want to deliver is we wanted to deliver something secure and also has a closer experience compared to your mobile phone. So it's much easier for getting your hands on a hardware wallet and protect your private keys and recovery phase with a hardware wallet. There's even a camera on it to scan QR codes. That's so intuitive. It just makes sense. (laughs) When we were designing the product, we interviewed a lot of Bitcoin OGs at that time. One of the key questions I asked them is that, what's the most anxious time when you're using Ledger? The answer was pretty aligned. They told me that when they plug their Ledger into the laptop, that's the most anxious moment when they're using Ledger. So that's why we deliver the experience of QR codes air-gapped signing, which means you never need to connect your hardware to any online devices. This is also one of the security assumptions of our product. I remember when Twitter made us verify our NFTs yeah. on our hardware wallets, and then we had to connect our wallet, connect to Twitter, and do this yeah. whole little dance. I think everyone, including me, was so anxious about that whole process. So a better user yeah. experience would have been a lot nicer there. Yeah. I think Twitter only allowed this on mobile end, right? Yeah. So you have to so, actually connect to Ledger and then connect to your mobile yeah. Bluetooth. Oh my God. It was so scary. I still yeah, haven't yeah. verified my PIPs. <laughs> and also Keystone is integrated with MetaMask Mobile. And also it's the first hardware wallet integrated with MetaMask Mobile. So you can totally use oh. Keystone on the mobile end too. Oh, wow. Amazing. Yeah. That would have been and so much easier. All the QR codes are verifiable. You know exactly what's sending into Keystone and what's sending out of Keystone. So you know exactly not the private keys or any sensitive information is leaving your hardware wallet. So when you're scanning a QR code, 
if there's a malicious QR code, is that still safe? Verifiable, you can use third-party tools to scan this QR code and to check Got that it. nothing sensible is getting out of your Keystone hardware wallet. And also, we don't accept any QR code that's not in our pre-designed form. So malicious QR code, we won't accept that. Oh, amazing. Amazing. Thank you. I'm going to order one right now, and I hope (laughs) this podcast can help more people learn about it. (laughs) Okay, thank you. By the way, we're also the first hardware wallet that can show your NFT on the lock screen. So also for my hardware wallet, I put my board on the lock screen. Yeah, so I know this is mine. (laughs) Yeah. Wow, that's so cool. I really like what you said about user experience as part of the security design, because when you don't know what you're doing, it's very dangerous. Yeah, so Li Xing, I know that you've been in this security industry for a while. So do you mind to introduce that part of you? Are you a technical person? How were you doing before okay. getting into the crypto? Okay, like I mentioned, I first knew Bitcoin back in 2009, and I bought my Bitcoin in 2013. So at that time, I was working on a drone company. It's not about security. And then I was incubated by one of the OGs in China called Discuss Fish. He's the CEO of Kobo. So he incubated me to making the Kobo Vault, which is the Kobo hardware wallet. We assembled a team full of traditional banking equipment experts for security. Because you know that for banking equipment, there are like security signers or like USB keys. They're making this kind of form of products and it's pretty mature for banking equipment. For example, the banking equipment, they have self-destruct mechanism and we also introduced this mechanism into our product. But we changed the signature algorithms from traditional banking algorithms into crypto algorithms. On the product side, it's actually it's not that complicated because we're not building something from zero but we were building something from traditional banking security equipments. Wow, that's very like hardcore builder. How does this bring you to the ape? Oh, so we pivoted to Web3 in the middle of last year. We launched Keystone last June. At that time, so I was heavily using Clubhouse to learn new stuff about Web3. I remember at that time there was no Twitter space. Like everyone was on Clubhouse to talk about NFT, talking about Web3. And suddenly found that maybe 15% of the people I'm following, they're using the PFP. And that's the first time I knew Bordape. That's the time I learned about Bordape. And also that's the time I bought my Bordape. But I only bought one at that time. I thought it was really expensive, like 20 to 30 ETH at that time. So I just bought one. I didn't enter the space at the very beginning, which is early May. I think I bought mine in July or August. You mentioned earlier in your intro that you were an ex-closed-minded Bitcoin Maxi and yeah. have since then became a open-minded Bitcoin Maxi. And I think you getting your first board ape, that's a really interesting story. Curious mm-hmm. to learn more about how you went from closed-minded to getting your first NFT board ape mm-hmm. and to being more open-minded about the other chains and the whole ecosystem. Okay. I was a closed-minded Bitcoin Maxis. Because the first time I knew Bitcoin was 2009. So I was pretty occupied by all the ideas behind the Satoshi Nakamoto, behind Bitcoin, behind how a sound money should work. And uh, But for NFT, I feel it's totally something different because my friends around me, they are constantly reach out to me to ask, okay, what is Bitcoin and what is Ethereum and what is NFT? I strongly feel that NFT is the 
easiest thing to explain to a non-tech background friend about what is blockchain and what is crypto. So when I was introducing Bitcoin, I need to tell them like what is money, what is consensus, and what are the technologies, and what are the miners, all these kind of schemes, and then they can understand Bitcoin. But for NFT, when I was introducing NFT, I just tell them, okay, this is a profile picture, and you can pull it only it's recorded on the blockchain, so no one can change it. So I think people around me, they can easily understand what NFT is, and they feel, wow, this looks great, I should get one. I feel from a Bitcoin Maxis perspective, I think this is totally the biggest difference between understanding Bitcoin and understanding NFT. This is really interesting. And after introducing NFT to more and more people, this really get me into this is cool. This is something beyond Bitcoin. Really cool. Okay. Because it's so easy to introduce it to people, it made you more open-minded to yeah, and also I show them some of the interactions like the Chile Telegram group, and then they know, well, this kind of really different dynamics between people. So people gathered because of something and because something really cool and they can follow up for this project and for other cool stuff together. Actually, before NFT in China, we don't have really like strong the idea of community. But with NFT, I think it's gathered some people around. You can meet new people and especially for cool people. Also, you can get into cool events. This is really awesome. This is something we cannot get before NFT, I think. Yeah. One thing I find really interesting is a lot of people would say when they compare Bitcoin to Ethereum, they say, oh, Bitcoin, mm -hmm. the downstate criticism of Bitcoin is that, oh, it doesn't have smart contracts. But I yeah. also recently learned about, you can actually launch NFTs on Bitcoin. There's like protocols called Stack. Stack is one of them. We can do DeFi NFT on Bitcoin. I'm curious what your thoughts on like smart contracts and things like Stacks. And how does that compare to smart contracts on Ethereum? I'm not a huge believer for the DeFi on Bitcoin. Because right now I'm not like abandoning Bitcoin. Uh, I think after getting into Ethereum, I understand more about Bitcoin. For example... Bitcoin's standing point is store value, right? Why Bitcoin is so simple? From a security perspective, something more simpler means that something is more robust. From my perspective, Bitcoin is just Bitcoin. Just keep your current status. You don't need to make too much innovations or adding smart contract or other layers above Bitcoin. You just keep it simple and keep it robust. Another example really interesting is that Bitcoin never do any hard fork. It's always soft fork, which means that if you are a old miner, you're using a old like software to mine Bitcoin, everything works perfectly. But for Ethereum, because it's iterating so fast and Vitalik is leading the Ethereum into like several new errors in the coming years. And the hard forks always means a, a huge step for the improving of the network not only for the TPS, but also for other functionalities. So I think these are totally two different things. Like Ethereum is shaping something really fancy and new applications in the future. Like we have DeFi, we have NFT, and right now people are talking about DID and talking about other data or anything else. 
But for Bitcoin, I think Bitcoin should just keep it is right now. Also, from a product development perspective, these two blockchains, they are serving different scenarios. So they are all good. We don't need to falsely adding smart contract or adding NFT onto Bitcoin. It's totally different and it doesn't help. Yeah, that makes so much sense, especially from coming from someone with a security background that just keeping it simple, no innovation needed, just keep it robust and safe. That's a feature on its own. So I love it. Yeah. yeah. Totally agree. Yeah, I agree. Um, the NFTs bring a culture and a community concept into yeah. this blockchain world. But when you have the NFTs and going back to your Bitcoin Maxi or Ethereum Maxi friends, they have yeah. different idea or they weren't in this community. So they have different views on the NFTs. They didn't want to pay 90 E's for a picture. So I'm sure that you probably run into a lot of those cases. Yeah, they're pretty interesting. For example, when I'm talking to a Bitcoin Maxis with tech background, the first thing they will challenge is that the centralized and the decentralized side of Bitcoin and Ethereum. For example, I was always asked that things about Infura. So when Infura f fails, the model projects, they don't work because of the failure of Infura. And also they asked me about oh, how I see Vitalik because for Satoshi Makamoto, he's totally disappeared. And actually, Bitcoin Maxis are really proud of that. For Bitcoin, a strong mindset in the Bitcoin people is that I should remove all the single point failure for the ecosystem because they wanted to keep something really robust. So from a Ethereum Maxis perspective, they see, okay, Vitalik is great. He's leading us into a new era. So they have totally different mindset. It's really hard to converting them into Ethereum or into NFT. So I stopped trying that. It's so hard. <laughs> yeah, same. I have some Bitcoin Maxi friends and still complaining about how yeah. expensive uh, yeah. NFTs are and unreliable, which is fine. People having different perspective and be, be able to understand things differently. You know that we have faced a lot of cases, valuable NFT owners lost their NFTs on the internet. Mm -hmm. How they usually commonly phishing the NFTs and do you have any suggestions for users to avoid it? Okay, we can categorize that into maybe two categories. The first is that people are not good at protecting their recovery phrase. It's counterintuitive for people to protect something with 24 words. People are familiar with password, but you can retrieve your password by sending an email to the customer service. But for, for crypto or for NFT, that 24 words or 12 words is your ultimate access to your assets. That's really counterintuitive. I see people are sending their recovery phrase through emails or through other like IM tools, or they just take a picture and put that words in their cloud, iCloud or some other online platform for the storage. I think that's the first the biggest reason for the NFT loss. And at Keystone, we're also looking into some solutions that may remove that 24 words or 12 words so people don't to worry about that. Yeah, that's another story. That's the first category. Uh, the second category is just like you mentioned, the phishing sites. If you see that from a hacker's perspective, they are very practical. They always calculate that, like how much money we put into hacking and how much money we get out of the hacking. 
So phishing sites is almost the lowest cost for them because they don't need to attack any individuals one by one. They just release the phishing site. For example, they hack the board app Instagram account and they can release the phishing site to millions of people in several seconds. So it's very cost efficient for them, for the hackers. For the phishing sites, I should say that people should be always suspicious about any of the links, any of the websites, and it should be very careful when you're signing a transaction or sending a message on your wallet, on MetaMask or hardware wallet. That's really important. It's also coming to people in different forms. For example, sometimes it's a private message on Twitter, a DM on Discord. Sometimes it comes with a PDF. For example, I know one of the most famous investors, he got a pitch deck and in the pitch deck, there's a malicious link and he got into a huge accident. Yeah, so always be suspicious about all the links and all the signing process you're working on. Yeah, people have like the plugins on the Chrome and they can yeah. take it too. So that's why some security friend recommended me to use the Firefox and the Firefox only use it for trading or buying NFTs and interacting with the wallet, but not use it for other yeah. functions to totally separate those. Yeah, we see a lot of builders, they're building, like detecting some spams or detecting the phishing links for people to use. I don't remember a name. For example, there is a small team in China. They release a Chrome extension. When you go to a phishing site, they will pop up a alert telling you that, oh, this is a phishing site, pay attention to that. But they are maintaining a, the list of the phishing site by themselves. So I hope that more and more people can get involved and can submit those links. But if they got hacked? <laughs> yeah, that's another question. I'm also asking our users and also telling the people around me, you should always cross-verify all the information. Don't rely on uh, on one source of the information. And this is very important too. Yeah, I also see some of them in Discord. The first time that you interact with them, you're fine. They make you interact them safe and slowly growing this trust on you. Yeah, and later yeah. on, they attack you with another link just because yeah. they think you trust them. You already yeah. put money there and they're growing a bigger fish in the yeah. pond. So, yeah, um, I think for those kind of targeted attack, Board Ape owners should be really pay attention to this. Most of the Board Apes, they also mention that they have Board Ape on Twitter. So it's much easier for them to get attacked. And uh, always, like you said, hackers see them as a big fish because you have a hundred is worth uh, NFT. So it's easier to get targeted for Board Ape owners. We should always be prepared and be cautious about that. Yeah, so for the first suggestion that you gave is never give any seed phrase to anyone. Do not use it for yeah. any internet use, including screenshots, sending yeah. through emails, text message. Yeah, don't put digitally or use a hardware wallet to keep it totally offline. This is really important. Yes, for the second phishing part, be aware and cross-check with your friends. Always paying attention with any interactions that you have with the MetaMask, making yeah. sure it's safe before you go for it. Just yeah. be always aware. Whoever's listening, if you own a board Ape or any blue chip NFTs, and you don't have a hardware wallet, come on, what are you doing? <laughs> go order a Keystone. <laughs> Play your NFT <laughs> on, yeah. this, on, this, on the screensaver. Let's this, go. 
this podcast is not sponsored by Keystone. <laughs> <laughs> Just go ahead. No, but I feel like so many people have to hear that. If you have a high pollution NFT, like you don't have a ledger, come on. Yeah, you should have a hardware wallet. Yeah. It's really sad because I do have a friend. He lost a bunch of apes, like maybe 10. Oh, really? Um, yeah, he lost 10 BOYC and some other mutant apes, dogs. I think that time it was worth like a few million, but it was really sad. He ended up buying one of his favorite ape back. Yeah, what are the suggestions for the buyers? Like, how do we know this is a stolen ape? And how could we check this ape is safe and is not from the hackers? So I think that's pretty simple. If I wanted to buy ape, either X2, Y2 or looks rare, I always check the, the OpenSea link because on OpenSea, if the ape owner is hacked and the ape is a malicious one, it's always tagged on OpenSea. And also I will check the transaction history of this board ape or purchasing history of this board ape. If you see anything really suspicious, for example, a really low price out of your common sense, it, you should be aware of that. Just don't do that. So for purchasing, I should say that always be suspicious about uncommon transactions or purchasing history. That's really important. Yeah. So like when you sign messages, I, it's so confusing every time. It's even like on Ledger, it says there's an option you have to enable called blind signing. Yeah. And that just sounds scary to begin with. Like, why am I blind signing anything? Yeah. So can you tell us more about what that means? And when we look at messages we're signing, how do we know it's not a scam? Okay. There are two parts about this here. First is when we're signing message here, a and really important EIP is EIP 712. Not EIP 721, but EIP 712. It is a EIP that defines that to sign a human readable message, not a, a raw message. So when you go to a website, ask you to sign a message, the message will pop up on MetaMask first, right? So sometimes you see the message is a human readable message because this website makes the signing process compatible with EIP 712. Sometimes you see some raw message on MetaMask. So always sign some message with this human readable form. Because if it's a message that it's not human readable, you can put some malicious signing stuff into that message. It could be a body approve transaction and then you are approving something really malicious. So always sign a message with a human readable form on your MetaMask. This is really important. That's the first thing. The second thing you just mentioned, blind signing, actually that's one of the things we want to tackle for the community. So for blind signing, for example, when you wanted to transfer your board ape to a new address, it's not like transferring Ethereum. It's you are interacting with the board ape smart contract. For example, you have board ape 888 and that board ape is belong to Jackie. That information is written in a smart contract. When you are trying to transfer that board ape to Vera as address, actually you are just changing the, the status in that smart contract. This means that all the stuff you are doing for board ape, it's a smart contract transaction, not a normal transaction like transferring Ethereum. So if you are transferring Ethereum, you can clearly show 
the destination address, all the information on the ledger. If you are transferring a board ape on ledger, you have to enable blind signing. And what you can check is the board ape smart contract address. You can try that. Actually, when you are signing a board transaction, you are transferring your board ape to Vera, you cannot see Vera's destination address. You cannot see Vera address, but only smart contract address of board ape. This leaves some room for the hacker because the hacker just need to hack your MetaMask. So on your MetaMask, you can see you are transferring your board ape to Vera. Because the MetaMask is hacked, when the MetaMask is sending this unsigned information to Ledger, the hacker can change Vera's address into the hacker's address. Actually, that blind signing is really dangerous because if you enable the blind signing, you are assuming your MetaMask is totally safe. Oh, that's what it means. Yeah, because when you are signing actually some input data to the smart contract of BoardApe, and including that input data, one of the key information is the destination address you want to send your BoardApe to. Makes sense. And this is a huge downside of the small screen. So for us, if you use Keystone, you can see exactly who you are sending your board ape to. So we are trying to solve the blind signing issue for board ape users. I can share a blog post to you guys later. We wrote what's the blind signing and how does it work and how Keystone shows the message for sending a board ape. And you can put yeah. the link in the show notes of the podcast. Yeah, definitely we'll add it to the show notes. So the difference of solving blind sign, is that an infrastructure change or just a user experience difference? Actually, it's not easy to solve because there is something called ABI, which is just like API. So you need to use that ABI to decode the input data of the smart contract interaction. So for us, actually solution is pretty easy. We just put the Bordape smart contract ABI into our device so that when you are signing a transaction or for your board ape, you can see exactly what you are signing. And also we put some of the OpenSea smart contract API into our device so that for some of the interactions on OpenSea, when you are signing that keystone, it's not blind signing, but OpenSea didn't open all the smart contract they are using, so we cannot get all the APIs. We're also reaching out to projects, also DeFi projects and OpenSea, just any projects that's interacting with smart contract, we should put their ABIs into our device. And then you know exactly what you are signing. This is also important. When you are using a hardware wallet, you should always assume that your software wallet is not secure. And you have to verify all the details of the transaction on your hardware wallet and then you're good to go. You are safe. So the reason why Ledger can't show what they're sending is because they don't have API of the contracts. That's so interesting. Yeah, even for Ledger Nano X, they only have 1.8 megabytes storage. For us, we have collected close to 70,000 APIs, which means for 70,000 smart contracts, we can decode that transaction. And for that API, it's over 400 megabytes. So Ledger has some hardware limitations and also the small screen. I think you remember that before 
blind signing, you need to smash the buttons on Ledger for 10 or 20 times to authenticate the transaction before the blind signing. They ask you to enable that also to protect your user experience. But for us, it's really easy. You just scroll like your on your mobile phone and check the information and tap sign. It's really easy on the big touch screen. That's fascinating. Yeah. These are things I would have never known. <laughs> so yeah. thanks for sharing that with us. Yeah. Interesting. You're welcome. Yeah. Like the current technology is really hard for non-tech people to understand yeah. and to protect their assets safe. And with something that visible on the screen, then people be able to see, oh, this is the ape I'm transferring to, and this is where it's going with yeah. something more straightforward than random numbers on it. It's much easier for people to understand. Let's say the worst case scenario, someone lost their ape, right? No, mm -hmm. there's probably not going to be a way to get the ape back. What is security people's perspective on this? Okay. I've never helped any of my friends like, to reporting this kind of incidents before. But just from my common sense, if your APIs got hacked, the first is you should ask one of the friends around you who's most into security so that he can help you to analyze that where is the vulnerability or how you got hacked. For example, it's because of your cover phrase, it's because phishing sites or anything about that. And also we should keep in mind that you should always just try to record every interaction you did in the last few days because for some phishing sites, after the hackers, they got the big fish, they always delete the whole phishing site entirely. You should try to recall every interaction on blockchain and try to protect all the information and try to use that information as some evidence or as some source for the security researchers to help you to get the body. But it's also a good lesson for other body owners. I think that's really important. Also, you should contact the official team, either it's OpenSea or BardApe official team to tell them what's the incident and how did you get hacked, this kind of thing. I strongly recommend that if you got hacked, you should share your experience with others. So all these lessons can help others to protect their BardApe better. This is also really important. Let's say they have multiple board apes or punks, right? Do you yeah. suggest them put into different wallets? Yeah, definitely. I think board ape owners are the most keen into security compared to other communities. For the board ape owners around me, they always use different wallets. For example, they put their board ape in a hardware wallet and then they put some pocket money. When they wanted to buy a new NFT, they always use another wallet which is separated from their board ape account. This is pretty easy. It's not a hard thing. You don't need another set of recovery phrases. You just add a new account on MetaMask and just put a board ape in the new account. So people don't understand the scheme of hierarchical deterministic wallet, which means one recovery phrase can have multiple accounts. They can have multiple addresses and you can put your different assets, like different layers of security in different accounts. This is not hard. That's something we should do. Everyone should do. Yeah. Yeah. Just keep in mind, always link your hot wallet with your cold wallet as well, making yeah. sure that's safe. The reason why BYC community is very aware of the security because there are so many cases of the apes got stolen. And that was a very expensive lesson for us to learn. Yeah. Several months ago, we were thinking about making a 
security application for the bar label owners, we can do several things. So the first thing is that we were planning to put all the hacked into the app. So if you download the app, you can learn all the hacked bar labels and you don't buy the hacked bar labels. The second is that that application can allow the official team of Barlip to push notifications to the Barlip owners. Because, for example, the Instagram account is hacked. If you push the notification through Twitter, through Instagram, through Discord, it's always buried among other information. It's like Amber alert for like Barlip security leaks. So actually, we were thinking about and making that. And also we can put some postmortems for the Bartlip lost cases into that application. So Bartlip owners can learn about all the lessons and how the Bartlip got hacked. So we were trying to reach out to Bartlip official team, but we didn't get it. But if we get it, we may put that on our list. You can actually uh, write a proposal on the Ipquindel if the suggestion got passed by the community. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, that's another process to be able to involve in this yeah. ecosystem that trying yeah, to solve yeah. the problems that we have. Yeah, we were thinking about that before the ApeCoin launched. So I think we, we should try again, just like you said. Definitely, that's going to be very helpful. Let's just walk through the people who lost the apes. Let's say the owner will happen to be someone that new to the board ape and want to buy an ape and bought a stolen ape. So a lot of people have asked me, or even Jackie asked me, like, what if it's a stolen ape? What's, what's next? No one wants to have their ape marked stolen or yeah. some suspective activities. So how do we remove that part? Someone bought and stolen ape by accident, one of my friends. So that's how we walk this process and learn how to solve it. So you have to, technically, the only one that can remove that activity mark is the OpenSea or the owner who reported it. And then you have to communicate with the original owner to either pay more ETH to cover it or uh, yeah, or sell it back to the owner if the owner wants it. And okay. then they can remove it. So the, pretty much the only person can remove it other than the OpenSea is the owner, the lost owner. Okay. What if the last owner, he lost his recovery phrase? So you I cannot is... sell back to the original address because that address... Yeah, you don't have to sell back to the original address. Oh. You can work with the third person, let's say from OpenSea, and then they can tell you this address is for sure the original owner's address. I... And it's a little bit more complicated. Yeah, we got a lot of pieces of Keystone here and there over our conversations. How it different than Ledger? Okay, first, just like I mentioned, one of the key design principles of Keystone is that user experience UX is part of the security. So we have a four-inch touchscreen. This is very different from other competitors. You can use the device just like using your mobile phone, but it's totally secure and offline. The second thing is that we are not using USB cable to connect your device to your laptop or to your mobile phone. We use QR code, which means that on MetaMask, if you connect your Keystone to MetaMask, will generate a QR code, which contains the unsigned information. And you just scan the QR code, get the unsigned information into Keystone. Keystone can sign the transaction. And then Keystone will show another QR code so you can use your MetaMask to scan again to get the signed information to broadcast it to the blockchain. So that's the second biggest difference. We leverage this QR code to bring this 
air gap to signing to the users. The third thing is that we have other security schemes. We are open source, self-destruct mechanism. We have web authentication. And also we are compatible with not only MetaMask extension, but also with MetaMask mobile. So you can use our device to manage your Ethereum and manage your NFTs on the go. And right now we are also integrating with other software wallets. There's a famous one in, in the hardcore Ethereum community, which is called Rabi, brought by eBank team. We're also compatible with Rabi. We're also talking to other software wallets and also we're supporting other blockchains. We just released the integration for Solana community. We integrated with Soulflare. Yeah. And also we are working on Nier, we're working on Polkadot and other blockchains. So we're pretty open and we wanted to give people the best experience with the best compatibility or composability between our hardware wallet and other top software wallets. Do you know how many users use uh, Keystone roughly? We started selling Keystone since the middle of last year. Just like I said, mm. we were Kobo hardware wallet before. And in last June, we pivoted to Keystone. And right now we have around 10,000 monthly active users. But most oh, nice. of them are using Keystone with MetaMask. Got it. Yeah. Really cool. This question is a bit of a stretch, but I just thought of it. You know how like when I look at Keystone, it almost looks like a phone, a tablet. It has a camera, mm -hmm. has a screen. You know mm -hmm. how all these blocking companies are coming out with their own phones, like Solana yeah. has a phone, Polygon yeah. has a phone, right? Yeah. Is, is, is there a world where the, the hardware can merge in the future? It's almost impossible because you can oh, add, like you can add multiple like security layers on your mobile phone. For example, you can add like secure element or security chip into your mobile phone, but it's not helping to protect your private keys because. If your phone is hacked, if your application is hacked, your application can always send a malicious transaction to the security chip for signing. And you don't know that. So hardware wallet is not just about a chip. It's a whole process. So a standalone screen should be connected to the chip and you can fully verify what you're signing on the screen. This is really important. So a dedicated hardware wallet is really important. And adding a security chip to your mobile phone doesn't work. Oh. I think another thing is you don't want to connect with the internet. In, yeah, you know, this in is really important. Because hardware wallet is used under the assumption that your software wallet is hacked. But a security element in a mobile phone doesn't work for this kind of scenario. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, and also yeah. your secure element can be bypassed if your software is hacked. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. If your MetaMask is hacked and then it sends a malicious input to your ledger and you sign it, that still breaches security, right? Yeah, because the hackers, they don't need to steal your private key or recovery phrase. They just, uh -huh. they just trick you into signing a malicious transaction and then your body is hacked. It's very risky yeah. actually. So other than NFTs, uh, are there any other tips you have for protecting your digital assets like tokens? I guess it's all the same, right? Just not signing. All the same. All the same. If you're yeah, just like all contracts. Using, yeah, all contracts. If you're signing a Uniswap transaction, it's the same because you're interacting with a smart contract. And right. this is actually this situation for Ledger is even worse for Solana and for other chains. 
So like right now we're working on near protocol. For some scenarios, Ledger cannot sign a near transaction. And then you have to put your recovery phase into a software wallet. And then you're like more risky than just using a hardware wallet. Yeah, there's a long way to go for hardware wallet. In, in this yeah. How is it integrating with all these different chains? Is that process pretty complex of going from near or because they're all EVN compatible? Does that make it easier? What yeah. does that look like? Right now, Right now, we support all the EVM chains oh. and all the transactions and talk because we got in the way with MetaMask. So we can support all this. And adding a oh. new chain is not really hard for us because we strictly focus on the signing part. And we are connected with other top software wallets in that community, which means that we don't need to handle the node, handle the backend service, all this kind of stuff. We just ask the software wallet to wrap up the unsigned transaction. We just finalize the QR code protocol with them and we can focus on the security part, on the signing part of the transaction. So it's not mm. hard for us and we are quickly iterating the product and adding new main chain into the product. That's super cool that you guys started last year and grown so much, such a strong team. That's really exciting. Yeah. We got in with MetaMask. Part of the reason is that when we were Bitcoin maximalists and MetaMask founders knew us at that time, because when we were working on Bitcoin, we were pretty hardcore and delivering. For example, those Bitcoin maximalists, they're really paranoid. They don't trust our hardware world to generate the recovery phase for them. So they asked me that, Lixin, can you give me a feature that I roll a physical dice and I put the number one to six into the device and you use those numbers as random input to generate the recovery phase for me. So we deliver a lot of this kind of like very hardcore features for the Bitcoiners. At that time, MetaMask founders knew us. So after we pivoted to Web3, we got connected again. We started working on integration and luckily we became one of the official hardware wallet partners of MetaMask. And oh, they did a God. long due diligence on, on us and then we started working together. Oh my God, that's amazing how your past <laughs> experience yeah. led you to this partnership, connecting the dots yeah. backwards. That's so cool. Yeah, an interesting story is that right now we are trying to bring Bitcoin to MetaMask users. So maybe oh. at the end of this year, you can use MetaMask to manage your Bitcoin and that feature oh is delivered by us. So we're looping back to our old journey on Bitcoin. <laughs> Going full yeah. circle. That's yeah, amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's really You're bringing Bitcoin people to NFTs and then bringing some web people back to yeah. Bitcoin. I love yeah. it. I love it. Yeah, yeah. Bring it all in together. Yeah. <laughs> great, great. Thank you, Li Xin, for sharing. And in this podcast, we got to know Li Xin and he shared about his ape story. He talked a little bit about securities on the NFTs and cryptos. We also learned about the Keystone and they're going to bring the BTC back to the MetaMask. So really appreciate your time and thank you for coming to this podcast and have this wonderful conversation with us. Hope you have a great day and yeah. cheers for the future. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you for the apes, for all the apes. Thank you. Oh. Cheers. Cheers. Dogs are unleashed. It's the board at Yacht Club. Get with the shits and get washed. I'm a board assay. 